Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Good job, and I appreciate our music team singing out well. I appreciate Alex leading this morning. That was Alex's first time leading and uh, leading and playing at the same time. I can't do either, and he did both at once. That was really good. I'm glad I'm here too, right? Thank you for saying so. If you got your Bibles, open them up to the book of Genesis, chapter number 15. It's so good to be in the house of God this morning. We're going to study some truths that I think will be an encouragement to you this morning. You can follow along in your program. And Acts, excuse me, Genesis chapter 15 is where we are. We're in the middle of a study that we started a few weeks ago. We entitled it Signs and Signals. With this belief that God has a plan and purpose for each of our lives. And it's incumbent upon us, it's important for us to see the signs and the signals that God lays out so that we can do his will and follow his plan for our lives. A few weeks ago, we started this study by looking at the signals that God gives us. Sometimes God tells us to stop. Don't go there. That's not a place for you to go. Sometimes the Lord will say, go, yes, go, do that, do that. And then oftentimes, we are in a place where we're not certain exactly what God wants us to do, so he gives us a, a, a place to pause or questions to ask. So whenever I see that yellow light, it's an indication that it's time to ask a question or it's time to make decisions. On this journey that God's called each of us on, we are to partner with people in life. We partner with the Lord Jesus Christ. He sends the Holy Spirit into our lives when we follow him as our Savior. And in that place of partnership, we are not alone. We are merging with others. God gives us a church. God gives us a a spouse, companions to work with. And in that partnership, we are intended to live life for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We studied then last week in Genesis chapter 12 and 13, where Abram made some poor choices and he followed a dead end. He stepped out of faith, and in that step or lack of faith, he abandoned the signs and signals that God had given him, and he allowed himself to go into a place that only reaped havoc in his life. Today we're going to study this sign, and today's lesson is entitled, Walk or don't walk. If you have your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 15 is where our scripture is going to be. If you're still with me this morning, say yes. The Bible says this in verse number three, and Abram said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bowels shall be thine heir. Father, I pray in the next few moments you'd help me to communicate truths from your word that would help these, your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In signs and signals, I think that of all of the traffic patterns, of all of the traffic signs, this might be the most confusing of them all. Because you don't know when you're supposed to walk or don't walk. In fact, some of the signs I've noticed around town have even become audible. Well, they'll say, wait. Have you experienced one of those that are crossed? Wait, don't walk. 
It is now safe to walk because we make things very complicated. We make things confusing in our lives and sometimes in the, in the way we even cross the street. So this idea of walk, don't walk, should be a pretty simple thing. It shouldn't take a lot of understanding. You shouldn't have to go through college to be able to figure it out. But walk or don't walk. But then it became more complex. I don't know, maybe we stopped learning how to read, so we changed the traffic patterns to where they look like this. So instead of saying walk, don't walk, we now have pictures. The picture is a red hand. Red hand, I think, means don't walk. White light, I think that means walk, okay? But then have you ever been in a place where it's been white guy walking, and then it's turned to red hand, and then the countdown begins? How many of you feel like you're elevated to DEFCON 4 whenever the countdown starts? Oh, Lord, please come. Let the rapture come before I get through here because it's just one of those places. And 6 and 7 and 8. And you don't know what you're supposed to do at that time because it's flashing, but it's flashing a red hand saying stop. And then sometimes there are numbers beside this. In order to stop the confusion, I found this sign online. And this sign was trying to help us understand how to walk or don't walk. And I think it was in New York City, so probably L.A. or New York City, but I think it was New York City. The sign says this, walk. <laughs> we had to build an extra sign for the sign. Isn't this government at its finest? Here's an extra sign so that we can define our sign. Walk means walk but watch for turning cars. Oh, okay, good. I'm so glad we have that. If it says don't walk, you can walk, but don't start. But if you are in the middle of walking, finish crossing the street if you've started walking, which only seems like that would make sense, right? If you're going across the thing and it says stop or finish going, go one way or the other. Don't just stand there and become... Um, a statistic. Then finally, don't walk. If it's don't walk and it's a steady don't walk, that means do not enter the crosswalk. Doesn't that seem like a whole lot of confusion over three simple words, walk or don't walk? And yet many of us have been in that situation where we stepped out on a crosswalk, wait, the voice of the Lord is calling upon us. I don't know where I'm supposed I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What is the action I'm supposed to take right near right now? Because even these three simple words in black and white or in a red hand or a white dude, it's become a place of confusion. God does not want us to be confused. God doesn't give us his word so that we can take the third vowel of the second syllable from the 14th verse and combine that with something in Leviticus and understand his will. There is not a great master da Vinci code or mystery Bible connex that is secretly put in there and we can finally get the code like a cipher we'll be able to determine God's will for our life. That's not the way God works. God tells us his will. God shows us his purposes. He gave us a whole book to outline what we should or what we shouldn't do. But sometimes we make things more confusing than they have to be. If you agree with that, say yes. And we've all been in that place. As if God is trying to peekaboo his will for us and say, here you go. <laughs> Which way is he going? Oh, here you go. 
That's not the way God works. God wants it to be clear. God wants his will for us and the signs and signals that he gives us easy to understand. Abraham's in a place where there's confusion in his life. He, he's, he's wanting to walk, but doesn't know, am I, don't walk. What, what am I supposed to do right now? And he has that confusion in his life for a number of different reasons. Notice how he expresses that confusion to the Lord. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 3, Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. In Genesis chapter 15, Abram has gone through this long journey where he left everything that he knew, his comfort, his kindred, he's, he's left his uh, uh, family, he's left everything. And now he's in a place where he knows no one, but he's just trying to do the will of God. But he's frustrated. He has fear in his life. And he's come to a place where he's talking with God, and no, can you feel the frustration in his life? Notice what he says. Behold, to me, thou hast given no seed. Three chapters earlier, God and Abram had a conversation. I'm going to make your seed as the, the stars of the heaven and as the sand of the seas. Oh, I'm going to do something big through you, Abram. Oh, I'm going to work my might in you in an amazing way. You can't even imagine how great... I'm going to show myself through your life, Abram. And now Abram's gone five years, 10, maybe 20 years. And in this time of decades passing and years upon years and not seeing that fruition come to pass, he's in confusion. I think he's in confusion for a number of different reasons. I think, number one, there's fear in his life. If you have your Bibles, look at verse number one. The Bible says this. After these things... The word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, what's the first word that God says to Abram? Fear not. God tells Abram, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to go through fear because this is not the motivating factor. But when fear comes into our life, it causes great confusion. If you've ever experienced true fear or uncertainty about the future or un, uh, an un a known prospect, sometimes that can just take away all judgment, can't it? You get afraid, you scream, ah! You get afraid, you make rash judgments, you pull out money, you make poor decisions, and Abram's in a place of fear. I think he's in fear for a number of reasons. I think, number one, he's in a fear because of a lack of self-confidence. God told him, you're going to be a great nation. And I don't mean to be disrespectful or inappropriate, but he's pushing 80, 85, maybe 90 years old at this time. And he has no kids. And I'm not trying to be 85, inappropriate, but 85-year-old men are not fathering children as often as younger men do. And he looks at his problems and he's like, Lord, you said we were going to have this great nation, but I'm 85. I'm 90 years old. God, you really want to do this through me? The Bible says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 8, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I've been disappointed with people, haven't you? But my greatest disappointments has not been with others. My greatest disappointments in life has been with myself. 
I disappoint myself a lot. And if you're, being, if you're being honest, probably you disappoint yourself as well. I'm going to do this. I didn't do it. Things are going to be different tomorrow. Once the weekend's over, I'm never doing this again. And yet, we understand that in ourselves, we mess up a lot, don't we? Abram asked God, God, you told me that there was going to be this great nation coming from me, but I just don't see how that's going to come to pass. I'm, I'm pushing 90, Lord. Is this really going to happen? Maybe it's fear. The Lord has to control that fear in his life. Maybe it's because of a lack of faith. Remember, God told him to go someplace, and he left the place that God wanted him to be. His own ability was inadequate, but now he has lived in disobedience to God. He took a dead end. And in this dead end, he went down to Egypt. And there down in Egypt, there was problem after problem after problem after problem. And perhaps he's come to a place where he says, God's got to be done with me. How could he use somebody that has messed up and lived with a lack of faith such as I? In Romans chapter 7 and verse number 8, the scripture says, for whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And so here's a man who's frail. Here's a man who's been faithless. And obviously he's looking at God in frustration. He says, God, you can't use me. God, maybe I missed the boat. Maybe I've come to a place where you're done with me. But notice God has all, he's also lost intimacy with God. That sweet fellowship that he had once enjoyed is gone. And so fear has come into his life. Notice how two, verses 2 and 3 continue to show that frustration. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. I have fear, Lord, but not only do I have fear, I have frustration. There is something that I cannot do, and I've done everything I know, and I'm sure I've messed up, but God, are you done with me? And that's where we always have to go back to the facts. The facts were that God was never counting upon Abraham, and it wasn't going to be Sarah's great ability that was going to bring this promise to pass. It wasn't that Abraham was great, and it wasn't that Sarah was great. It's because God Almighty is great that this promise would come to pass. God's work is going to go forward, and God's promises are always going to be kept, and you've got to get rid of the fear. You've got to let go of the frustration, and when you let go of the fear and you let go of the frustration, you're left with the facts. What are the facts? Well, look at what the scripture says in verse number five. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. Abraham, go outside. Goes outside of his tent, looks up. I want you to start counting the stars. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 25, 26. Lord, how long do you keep going? Three, seven, three, eight, three, nine, four, four, one, four, two. Lord, how much? Keep going. A thousand and four, a thousand and five, a thousand. Keep going. How many stars? Lord, I can't count all the stars. I, mean, I can't even count all the stars. And then notice how the Lord comforts this man who's living in fear. 
Notice this man who's living in frustration. God points him to the facts. What is the greatest fact in the known world? It is the word of God. And notice what he says. And he says unto him, so shall thy seed be. Lord, I'm, maybe I messed up so bad that you just don't want to use me anymore. Nope, I still want to use you. Maybe I ruined things and you've got a different plan. Nope. But God, I just don't see how you're going to do this. Trust me. Can you trust God? Hey, church, can you trust God? Man, that's easy to say at 1018 on a Sunday morning inside church, isn't it? But when you're 90 years old and talking about starting a family and looking at the uh, bye-bye baby catalog, and, and your wife, Sarah, is 75, 85 years old, and that time or that season of life has been long past, God, really, this is what you're going to do? And God says, so shall thy seed be. Because it's never been about you, Abraham. It's never been about Sarah and their ability. It's always been about me and the goodness and the greatness of who I am. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said, I am the Lord God that brought thee out of Ur and the Chaldees and to give thee this land to inherit it. I want you to remember who I am, Abram. Remember I took you to the top of Bethel? And when you look to the east and you look to the west and the north and the south, do you remember I said, I'm going to give you all of that land? Do you remember that, Abram? By the way, that's why today there is conflict in the Middle East because people are trying to take away the promises of God. And when people try to take away the promises of God, there is more than just an earthly war. There's a spiritual war that is being entangled. And in that entanglement, it's important that we side with God's word. And so here's here's God rehearsing his promises again to the children of Israel, or excuse me, to Abram. He says, you remember all of this is yours. All of this is yours. All of this is yours. You and I are about to enter into a covenant. Now, a covenant is different. A covenant is a promise between two parties, but that promise means more than you keep your side, you keep your side, I'll keep my side. The prom- a covenant is this, I will keep my promise regardless of what you do. And you will keep your promise regardless of what I do. We are entering into a covenant together. A covenant is best illustrated by a marriage. I've had the opportunity to do scores and scores of weddings, sometimes in this place and other venues around the valley or around the country. And in those marriage vows, there's an important phrase that is said between both parties. They will say something like this, for better, for, for richer, for, in sickness and in, to love and honor and cherish till death do us what? Now notice, that's a covenant, It's not, I'll do this if you do this. It's saying, I promise you. If you're sick, I'm going to love you, baby. If you're healthy, I'm going to love you, baby. If you're rich, I'm going to love you, baby. (laughs) If you're poor, all we're going to have is our love for each other. Till when? Death. Till death. We're not getting out of this. That's a covenant. And the Lord is leaving this place of confusion, and he's going to show him there's not confusion here. There is a covenant that's about to take place. 
In verse number six, the Bible says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees. I give thee this land to inherit it. He goes back to this. Number one, I want you to remember the promises. Remember the promises. What are the promises that I gave you? Well, I'm so confused, and I just can't remember, and I just don't know what's going to happen. Let's go back to the promises. Do you remember I told you I'll give you this land? I'm going to give you this land. This land is your land. Don't you worry about it. Remember the promises. Wow. You can always count on the promises of God. When you're confused, when you and I don't know what we're supposed to do, we go to the promises of God. When we're unsure about our relationship with God, does God love, am I going to go to heaven? Am I, am I, where, where's my eternal destiny? I go to the promises of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but will have what kind of life? Everlasting life. Oh, if, if your salvation was dependent upon your good works and your good deeds, you would lose your salvation. Not just once or twice a week, probably multiple times a day. Because if you're like me, you mess up often, don't we? We mess up all the time. So if I say, oh, am I going to go to heaven? Oh, I'm going to go to heaven because when I was a young man, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's how I'm going to go to heaven. Well, because you're a Baptist, because you're good, because you're a pastor and you try to do nice things? Oh, no, I'm going to heaven because I have a God who made a covenant with me that said, if you believe on me, I'll give you everlasting life. Oh, okay. I, I have the covenant of God upon my life. I know this too, that all my needs will ever be taken care of. Why? Because Jesus said, my God shall supply all your what? Oh, wow. I'll have what I need. I'll have what I'm taking. Whatever I need, God's going to take it care of. He will always take care of my needs. He made a promise. I will take care of my needs. I know I'll never be alone. Because why? Lo, I am with you. How often? Always, even unto the end of the earth. I know this, that the word of God is true. Why? Because the Bible tells us heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Oh, so this book is the promise of God. I can rest upon the promises of God. Why? Because it's not based upon my behavior. If it's based on my behavior, that's bad news. But because it's based upon his character and his covenant to me, I can trust and remember the promises. Number two, I can rehearse his provision. Because as I've trusted the promises, I have seen God provide in my life. Let me ask you this. Have you seen God provide for you in your life? If you have, say yes. yes. I want you to remember the time that God provided for you in your life. The next time Satan comes up and says, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. It's crazy out there. Are you really trying this whole thing? You look back. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What do we know? We know that God provided for me here, and God provided for me here, and God provided for me here, and I don't know what's going to happen in the Middle East, and I don't know what's going to happen in an election, and I don't know if gas is going to be six bucks a gallon next week. But I do know this, my God is faithful, and my God shall supply all my needs. And so if I get a bad health diagnosis, if I get poor financial news, 
doesn't matter. I can trust the promises of God because I've seen him provide and I've seen him work. And I can tell you about times as a teenage boy saying, God, could you do this? And I can tell you about times as a college-age student. And I can tell you times as a young married person and as a new father and as an older father and now a father with a child in college. Ay, 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 God will supply all your needs. So I have to rehearse his provision. I have to rehearse his provision. One of the sweetest moments the Lord and I ever had. Ashlyn was going back to college as a sophomore, and I took her over to Harry Reid International Airport. (laughs) And she was flying a a discount airline, so we went over to the B Gates, and she went over to the B Gates, and I hugged her. I kissed her on the cheek, and she was walking through security. And as she was walking through security, she went through that last place where you could just see her, and I wasn't going to be able to see her for about three and a half months. It was like 15 weeks before I was going to be able to see her. And she walked through that security, and she waved with her beautiful Ashland smile and blew a kiss. And I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, she's all yours now. And I remember the Holy Spirit whispering back to me, She always has been. (laughs) The same God who took care of her when she was five weeks old and had 102 temperature and we didn't know what to do. It's the same God who takes care of her when she's 20 years old. Because God cares so much more for that girl than I ever will. So I rehearse the provisions of God. I can remember his promises and then I rest in his person. What is the character of God? Oh, the character of God is awesome. It's full of grace and full of truth. Our God is a wonderful God. He's not a mean bully. You ever had somebody who's just trying to get you in trouble? When I went to college, there was a rule that you had to wear a belt wherever you went. You had to wear a belt. What kind of college did you go to? There was the Amish, and then there was us. There was, it was really close. <laughs> so you had to, so me, we, so I pulled my buggy up one day, and so, <laughs> so it was a rule you had to wear a belt, and I was going to go to a basketball game on our campus and, and view the basketball game, and I, I changed out of, I was wearing a coat and tie like this, and my clothes and my duffel bag, I put them on, and I didn't have a belt. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't have a belt. I don't have a belt. And I took my shirt, and I, I kind of puffed it out over. I used to be able to do that. <laughs> and so I, I kind of puffed it out over, so kind of baggy, hang down. And I went to the game, didn't think anything of it. And on Tuesday, I got a call slip to go to the dean's office. And the dean, his name was Mr. Maldoff, he said, Hey, Matt, come on in, shut the door. He said, it says here, you didn't wear a belt to the basketball game on Friday night. I said, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I didn't. And he said, I just want you to know, and took the demerit slip and ripped it up. He's like, uh, I'm not going to give you demerits. I just want you to know that they are, you are a leader now on this campus. And as a leader on this campus, people are going to be looking for ways to get you. So be careful and be a leader. I remember thinking, my goodness, because, because you're put in a position or because you have notoriety, somebody is looking for a way to get you. Isn't that interesting? 
It's satanic, though, isn't it? Isn't it satanic? The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And, and here was somebody who was just trying to get me in trouble. Can I tell you this? The Lord doesn't try to get you in trouble. He's the one, he's the one who extends grace. He already knows all your flaws. He knows every single mistake you've made. He knows every problem you've gone through. He knows every dumb thought and bad word and stupid action you went through this week. And yet, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace. To bring you to an expected end. Wow. Our God can be trusted. We can rest in the person of who this God is. He's going to enter into a covenant. Now, this is what's beautiful. In this covenant relationship between Abraham and uh, the Lord, it's going to change the nature of who they are. Until now, everything from God has been directed as a command. Do this, do this, do this, do this. But their relationship is about to change to where God is going to make him a partner in life. It's a maturing point in Abraham's life where God will even call Abraham his friend. And he's going to walk through this life, not dictating to him everything that he's supposed to do, but allowing him to walk almost as a partner with God in life. And this is a point of maturity that every Christian should experience. When a Christian first comes to know the Lord, they come through and they okay, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. But then there's an understanding in maturity where we realize it's not just, I got to do, got to do, got to do, got to do. It's, this is what we do. It's not, an, it's not an us versus them mentality. It's this is what we get to do. And Abram enters into the relationship of this is God and I working together. God desires to partner with us. God desires to use our lives in partnership with his commandments to bring glory to the kingdom of God. And we are the kingdom of God. What a beautiful thing. I remember the place I was whenever... I understood my parents are no longer the boss of me. I remember right where I was. I was sitting in a Bible class studying the book of Galatians. And the teacher, Dr. Mullenix, said, some of you will very soon come to a place where you no longer look at your parents as your parents, but as your friends. I remember thinking, wow. I was about 19 years old. And I remember thinking, I can do whatever I want right now. I've got a job. I make $6.50 an hour. <laughs> I don't have to go to college if I don't want to go to college. I can do whatever I want. If I want to go to the mall, I can go to the mall. If I want to buy a hot dog on a stick... Reference $6.50 an hour again. I, I, can, I can do whatever I want to do. I don't have to listen to my mom and dad. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm no longer obligated to obey, but I desire to please. For the last 25 years, I would consider outside of Brianna my greatest partner in life, my dad. Oh, I spent, we're partners in life. For the last 25 years, we have partnered in life. We talk about a number of different things. We talk about ministry, and we talk about movies. 
We talk about Disneyland and we talk about discipleship. We talk about a hundred different things. We partner in life. It's not, okay, okay, Dad, whatever you say. It's what are we getting to do together? And that's the unique place where God and Abram are moving into. They're moving into a covenant relationship where they are partnering together. Now, this covenant relationship is interesting because it provides a ceremony. And this is our final point today. It provides a ceremony. And that ceremony, the Bible says, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit? Okay, Lord, what is the ceremony that we're going to go through to say that you're keeping, I'm going to do what you say, you do what you say. He gives them this command. I want you to do this. Take me and heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and he divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the, but the birds he divided not. So this is what the Lord does. He says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go get a heifer. Now, if you're new to church, we don't do this. Now, I did have a friend help me buy a cow from Utah a couple weeks ago, but this is not the same thing, okay? This is, a, this is a thing that happened a long time ago, and I'm just letting you know what the Bible says God told him to do. God's not telling anybody to divide a heifer today, or rams, or he goats, or turtle doves, or pigeons, or whatever you can find, okay? He's not, but this is what the Lord tells him to do. Go find a heifer, a three-year-old heifer. Take that heifer and split it in the middle and put one on one side and one on the other. Then take a goat, one and one. Take a ram, one on one, and the birds put those down at the end. And he's going to illuminate for him a ceremony. In this, by the way, I wasn't calling all of you heifers and goats, just so you know, okay? So I want you to put it, and what you're going to do, Abram, is you're going to walk through this sacrifice. And as you walk through this sacrifice, I am going to walk in the same path that you are and to ceremony to demonstrate that I am with you always. Now, ceremony is important. It's, a, it's an important thing. Ceremony is important because it demonstrates a picture. It's a picture of something. What was more important, the ceremony or the covenant? Oh, the covenant's the important thing. But here is Abraham with the split heifer and the goats and the rams put on either side. And this ceremony becomes a picture of what God has done. We're all about pictures. Weren't you encouraged today when Emily and Seth were baptized? If you were encouraged about that, say yes. Oh, I was encouraged by that. Why? Because Emily and Seth were saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, does getting dunked in that water make anybody saved? No. Of course not. If getting dunked in water got somebody saved, we should line people up at Lake Mead or Cowabunga Bay and just go at it. But that doesn't save anybody. But what this picture does, what this ceremony, you saw a ceremony today, what this ceremony does is it shows the world something that happened inside of me. It's an outward expression of an inner truth. So ceremonies are important. Baptisms. We see people baptized here. I think we're up to about 85 or 86 people have been baptized here at Liberty Baptist Church. This is one of our missionaries who's over in Africa doing the exact same thing that we do here, telling people about Jesus and allowing them to participate in a similar ceremony to show the world that I believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to pay for my sins. And I put my faith and trust in what he's done, and I'm showing the entire world that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Ceremonies are important. 
sometimes in a ceremony or a religious act, we will say, why don't you bow a knee? And when you bow your knee and close your eyes, would you show reverence to the Lord? Now, can you pray without bowing your knees and closing your eyes? Sure, sure. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Please don't bow your knees and close your eyes while you're driving and praying. Okay, it does not end out well. So, but we have this ceremony. Oh, I bow, my, I, I, I bow my head. I'm showing reverence to the Lord. Sometimes I will bow because it's a physical act of worship. I will get down on my hands and knees to show the Lord, oh, I, I, I reverence who you are. We take part in the Lord's Supper. So in the Lord's Supper, we have the cup of juice, and we might have a cracker or unleavened bread. Is that bread the body of Jesus? No. Is that blood, uh, the, is, that, is that juice the blood of Jesus? No, it's a picture. Jesus said, here you do show the Lord's death. It's a picture of Jesus' blood. It's a picture of Jesus' body that was broken. It encompasses every sense. It takes your taste. It takes your smell. It takes your sense of uh, hearing. It takes every single sense, and you get to imagine the body of Jesus being broken for you, the blood of Jesus being poured out for you. It does not change through some act of transubstantiation to actually become the blood of Jesus or actually become the blood of Christ. No, that is false teaching. But what it does do is it is a picture. It's a ceremony. Ceremonies are important. We have times of discipleship where people from time to time will recognize these people are making steps and following an allegiance to Jesus Christ. We have a wedding ceremony where people will come forward and they will say, I do, and I do. Is the actual ceremony the most important thing? No, I've married people in my office by signing a document on about 12 occasions where I've just signed a document and people in my office without a wedding dress, without lace, without, even without cake. (laughs) People, (laughs) I wasn't sure it was a Christian marriage, but it was a marriage. (laughs) Even without cake, people have gotten, why? Because the ceremony is not the important thing. Baby dedication. We have people who will be, uh, bring their babies up and, and they'll say, I, I want to dedicate my child to the Lord. I want the world to know that we want to raise our child for the glory of Jesus Christ. All of these ceremonies are important because they provide a picture. They provide a picture of something that God has done. But so often, we become captured by the need for something to be picture perfect. It's got to be picture perfect. And if it's not picture perfect, well, I don't even know what we're doing. And we get so wrapped up with the fact that this ceremony is, is exactly what it's supposed to be that we take away what the meaning of the covenant is. So people will spend more time getting ready for church and doing their hair and picking out their outfit than they will preparing their heart for God. And we'll spend our weeks doing a number of different things and hashtags and selfies and filters so that it demonstrates that we have a walk with God. But the demonstration of the walk with God is not as important as the sincere walk with God. So the question is, are you living in covenant or are you living in ceremony? God desires for us to have ceremonies, but ceremonies are only as important as the covenant. And so we focus so often on picture perfect. You ever, you ever got frustrated that the things you do aren't picture perfect? My wife has an app called Pinterest. If you know this app, say yes. yes. And from time to time, we've tried things on Pinterest. We saw these things. 
Um, they were called teddy bear pancakes. And I saw this, and I'm like, oh, that kind of looks fun. And here's the easy step-by-step. You make the teddy bear pancake, and you put the eyes and the dots, and, and, and it just comes out like a cute little teddy bear. But when I make it, it comes out like that. <laughs> it's not a teddy bear, it's a teddy bear. Or how about this one? I saw this one. Somebody said, oh, we're going to have a little Sesame Street cupcake, and, and for all of the kids that come, we're going to make some cookie monster cupcakes. It'll be great. I saw it on Pinterest. It'll just follow step by step, and then it comes out like <laughs> And it's not just food that this happens to. Sometimes people will decorate their house. I saw this one, melted crayon art. Wouldn't that be great? Melted crayon art. We're gonna, I saw this beautiful mural. You just take these crayons and you melt them, and it, it creates a kaleidoscope of pictures across the canvas. And so somebody tried it, and uh, they nailed it. <laughs> That's, it's just not exactly what you thought it was going to be. Check it out. In the ceremony, the ceremony is only as strong as the covenant. And so often, we are looking to create this picture-perfect ceremony, and we get frustrated because it's not everything it's supposed to be. In fact, some of us in this room are so wound up, wound up so tightly that we've been frustrated that the word picture is misspelt here. And it's because you're more concerned, you're more concerned with ceremony than you are covenant. How many of you are guilty of that? Say yes. Okay, look. Give yourself a round of applause. You're in church today. That's okay. And we get so concerned about this. We get so wrapped up, and it's, got to, it's not perfect, and it's not the way it's supposed to be, and it's not like I just thought it was going to be. In fact, when I sent this over, when I sent it over to the proofreaders, I made sure, I made sure, please do not change this when it goes on to the notes. Because we get so wrapped up with ceremony, and I challenge you not to be so wrapped up with ceremony that you forget the covenant. That's not the important part. The important part is not that it looks good online, but that the Lord looks down and says, well done. Check out what the Bible says in verse number 11. In this beautiful ceremony of the, the heifers, the goats, the rams, the turtle doves. The Bible says in verse number 11, and the fowls came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. This is one of my favorite verses in the book of Genesis because in this beautiful ceremony where God and Abram are going to walk through together on this covenant, there's a crow that comes down. And this crow comes down and says, ah, heifer. (laughs) And this crow starts picking at the, ah. And Abram, as he's preparing the goat, looks around like, get out of here, you stinking crow. Get, 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 get. And that crow is like, ah. And it goes over and finds its other crow friends. And so he brings back six or seven of the crows. Do you know what a group of crows is called? It's called a murder. And so a whole murder of crows come down upon this goat. Ah, ah, 
ah, and here's Abram, and he's fixing the stuff. And he's like, oh, Lord, this is good. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be crows. <laughs> and he's going to have this wonderful ceremony in time with God and reassuring the promises, and he has to drive away these crows and these vultures and these nasty flies are coming all over, and he's like, get out of here. Could God, could God have said, this is a no-crow zone for the next 30 minutes? He could have. But for whatever reason, God allowed the crows to mess up the ceremony. And sometimes God will allow fingerprints on your freshly washed car. Because that's more important than the ceremony. And sometimes God will allow the inconveniences and the knocks at the doors because the covenant is more important than the ceremony. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12, the scripture reminds us that they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. When I live my, lo- my life saying, oh, Jose does it this way, I need to, oh, Steve does it, I'm going to do it this way, or Anthony does it this way, I'm not wise. I get so raptured in the ceremony that I forget to cultivate the covenant. He goes on and he's going to share the perfect provision that he has for Abram. He's going to give him, if you read through the end of this chapter, he's going to say, you're going to die in a good old age. You're going to have the children come out of your own body. These aren't going to be folks that you've adopted or that you've tried to highlight or bring along. Out of your own body will my work be done. Abram, you just got to trust me. And then what's going to happen? I'm going to tell you for the next 400 years, I'm going to work in people's lives. You just need to walk. Don't be confused. Just walk. There are certain places you don't walk, but I have a covenant with you. And the ceremony is a sign and a signal to show you you don't have to live in confusion. We walk in covenant. And ceremonies are a demonstration to show that God is a promise-keeping God. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.